Uh, God bless you all. Uh, it's good to be in the house of God. Uh, let me just open us up in a word of prayer. Let us pray together. Starting with Psalm 142, it says this, When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. Look and see, there's no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. This was a prayer that was said of, from David when he hid in the cave from Saul, from the assassination of Saul. When we find ourselves in a place, God, where we feel hopeless and lost and nowhere to turn to, God, we know that, God, we can find our refuge in you and in you alone. Lord, thank you for allowing us to be in the house of God, to be able to worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, I pray that our worship will be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord, that our hearts will be pleasing in your sight, O oh God, for you do not look at the outward appearance, but Lord, you look within the heart, God. So I pray as David that we will be men and women of God who pursue the heart of God, men and women of God who seek your face, and God who put you first as our main priority, O oh Lord. So God, we lay down all of our worries all of our crowns and all of our achievements, we lay them at your feet. Lord, take full control and take honor and have all the glory. For your name may be glorified above all names in this worship, in this small service, Lord, that we can offer to you, O oh God. We give you our obedience more than our sacrifices. God, we give you our hearts, God, more than the outward and going through the motions. Lord, we give you our everything. You are our first. You are our middle, and God, you are our last. We thank you. We love you. I pray as we transition now to the message that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all the hearts of those who will be listening to this message, Lord, may it be pleasing in your ears and in your sight, O oh God. For, you, for Lord, you are our rock, and you are our redeemer. We love you. We thank you. We pray all these things in your precious Son, Jesus Christ, let me pray. And God's people pray. Amen and amen. All right, how was everyone's week? <laughs> it was good? Uh, let's take a moment to greet one another before we begin. And as we're greeting one another, uh, let's get ready for today's title and the message. We're continuing on in our Authentic Christian Christianity series. We are now in 1 Samuel chapter 17 of the book of 1 Samuel. And the title of today's message is called A Victory in Christ, David and Goliath. Victory in Christ, David and Goliath. The title says David and Goliath, and let's begin right away. We're going to read the whole chapter of 17. So let's start with verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sokol in Judah. 
they pitched camp at Ephes Damim between Soko and Ezekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. Verse 4, this word introduced with Goliath, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze griefs and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and his iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Verse 8, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line off for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Verse 12, Now David was a son of Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time, he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, and third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Verse 16, For forty days the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. There was Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up, and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up the lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage 
and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asked the man standing near him, What will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? They should defy the armies of the living God. I'm just going to pause there for a second, just real quick. Everything was very self-explanatory. But do you see here in verse 25 that there is great price in the person who will destroy this Philistine, Goliath? But look at the way David responds. He has no care for the prizes or the wife that he'll get in marriage or the wealth that he'll receive. But what does he focus on in verse 26? He says, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? He is offended on behalf of God. Not the fact God doesn't need our defense, but he has the heart of God. His first and his foremost priority is to focus on God and to honor God. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Verse 27, they repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the man, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? He's downplaying David's role. I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Verse 29. Now what have I done? Said David. Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the man answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of the Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Can we read that together? Ready? One, two, three. Your servant will go and fight him. Amen. Verse 33, Saul replied, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. Okay, that's great. And then he goes on, When a lion or a bear, oh, it's getting interesting, came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by his hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. David here is confident and what he is about to accomplish because of his past small, smaller accomplishments. If you were able to overcome the past struggles, the past attacks and trials and tests and temptations in the past, then you will have confidence for the future, especially when uh, you move somewhere and you're in an unfamiliar place. You are tested in your faith. Have you ever been in a place where your faith has been tested? where you've proved to yourself 
that your faith was genuine. Your faith is easy in the days of sunshine, when everything is good, when you have the church behind you, when you have the pastor who is praying for you. But will your faith be solid goal before God? Will it be genuine before God when you're left by yourself, when no one is watching you? I've been through that in my testimony in my early 20s when I was in Korea. Even for me, I quit drinking at the age of 17, didn't touch, well, I think right before 18, yes. So 17, made a commitment promise with my mother, promised before God that I'm going to quit everything. I'm going to follow you, God, wholeheartedly. And ever since then, haven't touched alcohol since and in my 30s. And it started even in Korea. The culture of alcohol is huge, especially after work, after company. You go have dinner, and then when you're not drinking, it's like, whoa, what are you doing? Even before I went, my friends, we met at K-Town, and they wanted to do a goodbye thing, and everybody's drinking, and they're like, whoa, why aren't you drinking? I mean, they're friend, friend of a friend, because they don't know me. And they would ask, how come you're not drinking? Everyone's drinking. But it's a promise that I made before God. And before I went, and when I went to Korea, I knew and I was confident. Yes, it was hard. Yes, the temptations were hard. Yes, the attacks were hard. Yes, the loneliness was real. But at the same time, I made sure that I stayed grounded in God and tried to find the right church and made sure that I surround myself with godly individuals. David, he knew and he was confident in his fight against Goliath, in the battle that he was about to face against Goliath. Because of his testimony and his story that he says here in verse 34 to verse 37. He was confident when he fought the bear and the lion. Therefore, he is confident now in the present when he is faced with this huge, humongous giant that is right in front of him. And what does Saul say? Saul said to David, this is in verse 37, Go, and the Lord be with you you. Verse 38, then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. This analogy, this picture, I remember when I share, when I read this passage in the past, of course this is a different message, but the clothes were not fitting him. It's like when Andy wears Dan's hoodie, right? In the past, during missions, it was huge. It went down to his knees. It was not fitting his body. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took a staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine with the shell bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. And you see the stupidity of arrogance of Goliath. The bigger they are, the harder they will fall. Verse 45, David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin. 
But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will struck you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Verse 48, as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank on his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. This is what you don't teach in elementary school, right? They don't teach this. What does he do? After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. Imagine sharing this story to little kids. When the Philistines saw that the hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. The dead were strewn along the Sharim, rode to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. Verse 54, David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem. He put the Philistines' weapon in his own tent. As Saul watched David going out to meet the Philistine, he said to Abner, commander of the army, Abner, whose son is that young man? Abner replied, as surely as you live, your majesty, I don't know. Saul is such a funny character. He's crazy, right? Because in verse 16, David was the one what? who played the lyre and the harp for him. Like he knew him, but he's like, who is this man? Forever clueless, donkey, who, where are the donkeys? Samuel, who are you? I have no clue. Saul, I have, quote, I have no clue, Saul. That's his name. I have no clue, Saul. Verse 56, the king said, find out whose son this young man is. Verse 57, as soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul, with David still holding the Philistine's head. Whose son are you, young man? Saul asked him. David said, I am the son of your servant, Jesse of Bethlehem. Amen. Let's go right into our first point. Number one, action in Christ. Action in Christ. In everything David did, he took action. Definition of action is the act of the will. It means to do, to do. David was a man of action. There are two types of men. Letter A, the fighter. When I say the fighter, I'm talking about the wise, the one who does, the one who acts, the one who puts his words into action. Word is bond. When you give a promise that this is what I will do, 
you keep your word no matter what, the fighter. Letter B, the pacifist. Pacifist meaning someone who refuses to fight the good fight. Adam was a pacifist. It says in Genesis that when Eve was being tempted by the serpent, it doesn't say Adam was over there in the other side of the garden playing with the dogs, playing fetch with the lions. It says as Eve ate the fruit, Adam was right there with her. He did not fight the good fight. He was the one that was given all the instruction to fight the good fight, to lead in the right way, but he was a pacifist, and he was passive in his actions. But as men, we have to be a fighter. As men and women of God, we have to fight the good fight. What do I mean by the pacifist? When I said the fighter, I'm talking about a person who is wise, a person who does, a person who acts, the one who puts his words into action. When I say the pacifist, I'm talking about the fool, the opposite. He is AWOL, absent without leave, right? Term in the military. AWOL, the talker, the boaster, all bark and no bite. With excuses and excuses and with excuses and is lazy. You guys need to watch that video of a little dog fighting against a coyote, a little tiny dog. And I mean, it, the dog is okay now, but. I think I had to go to like the emergency room, but I saves like a little girl from, right? So it's not about the size of the person, but it's about the courage. Are we a fighter or are we passive in our walk with God? As Christians, especially right now in this day and age, uh, we have been taught as men uh, to always turn the other cheek and to always be weak and but, you know, as men and women of God, we are called to be strong. Amen? We're called to be warriors. We're called to fight the good fight. We must fight the good fight. Turn to your neighbor and say, fight the good fight. And we must be careful how we fight. Right? First Timothy 2.8 says, Therefore, our men everywhere to what? Pray, lifting up holy hands, what? Without anger or Disputing, But what happened here with the brother Eliab in 1 Samuel 17? He calls his brother arrogant, and it says he started to burn with anger. Why? Why did he get angry at his own brother? And he is accusing him, and he is misunderstanding his brother. We must not be led to anger, which leads to division. But we must pray as men of God. We must pray and lifting up our holy hands in worship without anger or disputing, right? We are called to fight amongst together, side to side, to fight the common enemy. It's not a person, but it is the kingdom of darkness. We must fight for the things of God, not each other. In this case, everyone is scared. Everyone is afraid to face this Goliath, this giant that is in front of them. They have no care that he is defying the name of God, the armies of God, the army of God's people. We must fight the good fight. We must have the common enemy and make sure that we are fighting for one another. 
that we are standing up and that we are a fighter, that we are not passive in our walk with God. We must fight for the things that are holy. We must fight for the things that are honorable. We must fight for the things that are godly before God. And as David did here, we must go all the way, all the way, and chop off the head of the one, of the individual, of this very person who defied the name of God. I'm not saying we're going to go and, you know, do crazy things, right? Uh, there's definitely different ways to uh, read the Bible. Uh, when we read, there's ways we are called to follow. And, and there are also another way where we read and we're not supposed to do exactly how they did it because obviously everything is about context. So in this case, we are called to destroy the things that are not holy and honorable before God. Look at verse 26 to verse 32. David asked the man standing near him, what would be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes his, this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what would be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the man answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul. And Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him again. Action in Christ. Which one are you? Which category do we fall under? A fighter or a pacifist? May we fight for the things of God. Amen? Point number two, victory in Christ. Victory in Christ. David had two things, two main things. I'm not talking about the five rocks and a sling that he had. Oh, by the way, this is a special rock. I have a few at home. This is an actual rock in the, from the Valley of Elah in Israel where uh, David fought Goliath. So, my professor was like, go ahead. And I was like, <laughs> going everywhere looking for the right rocks. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, pass it down and just take a look, feel it, and then um, pass it down. And then, you know, during the message, it's okay. Yeah, it's, a, it's a rock that I found in Norwood. Just kidding. <laughs> How will you know? <laughs> Again, victory in Christ. David had two things. Number one, faith in God and courage in God. Again, I'll say it again. Faith in God and courage in God. More than the rocks, more than his sling, and more than his skills, David had tremendous faith and courage in God. Let's all go to verse 34 to 37. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. 
When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. In life, death is our greatest scare. However, as Christians, uh, death has no power over us. The fear of death has no control over us. David here in verse 34 to 37, he is not afraid. He is not afraid to die. He says, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And as Christians, we must understand that we have victory even in death. Even when this life ends, we have victory. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, 54 to 58, it says in 54, death has been swallowed up in what? In victory. Where all death is your victory? Where all death is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. What David did here was not in vain, for he did it in the name of God. It says in 1 John 5, 4-5, it says, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Even our faith, who is, it, who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus Christ is a son of God. We have victory in Christ. Through Christ, we have victory even in death. When death is our greatest scare as human beings, we have victory overall. Contesting against God is death. What Goliath was doing, he was asking for death, and even greater than death itself. For he was not just asking to die, but he was defying the name of God. How dare he defy the name of God? Does he not know who, who God is? But he goes and he prays to his little gods, thinking that he'll be protected, thinking that he'll be protected by his muscles, he'll be protected by his height, by his skills, by his weapons, by his armor. David had nothing. A shepherd boy, a teenager, with five rocks and a sling. In one shot, he goes at and he knocks this giant down. We cannot lose with God on our side, even on our deathbed. And as sad as that sounds, you know, we've been through funerals, we've lost our loved ones, and one day you and I, we will take our final breath on this planet, on this earth. But even in death, even when we're taking our, our final breath on earth, death, death has no power 
over us. Where all death is your sting. Where all death is your victory. I have victory through Christ. Victory that has overcome the world. Through Christ, I am victorious because he lives in me and he walks with me. Verse 47, all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. How can an impotent being compete with an omnipotent God, all-knowing, all-powerful God, powerless, incapable, weak, impotent? We as human beings, we have no power. It's no contest. We'll be defeated instantly. May we not fight against God, but may we fight on the right side, on God's side. Amen? As David did. 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you are wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts Boast in the Lord. He is my righteousness, He is my holiness, and He is my redemption. Again, He is what? He is my righteousness. Can we all repeat together? Ready? One, two, three. He is my righteousness, holiness, and my redemption. So, sub point letter A here jot down your victories. Jot down your victories. Have a mental note of your previous victories. When your problems and your struggles are towering over you, reflect and recall of God's faithfulness from your past, how God has rescued you in your life. David, in verse 34 to 37, 38, he goes ahead and he what? He tells Saul, he recollects how God was faithful to him. He was recollecting his previous victories. God, you were there for me then, and you will be here with me today. Jot down your victories. So point B, build on top of your victories. Build on top of your victories. As teachers, teacher ceilings, should be the student's foundation. Right, teachers? Right? You want them to be better than you. You want them to go ahead. You want to propel them even further, further than you could, you could have ever gone. That your ceilings will be the student's foundation. 
That's where they will build on. You continue on. You build on top from the foundation that has been set and paved and invested and provided for you in your life. It says from, in 2 Corinthians 3.18, from glory to glory, it says. From glory to glory. Build on top of your victories. Again, the context of that passage is not on the screen, but 2 Corinthians 3 to 18, where it says, from glory to glory, it's talking about the former glory from the Old Testament to the new glory that is found in the new covenant in Jesus Christ. We build on top of each victory. Amen? You do not just get to say, oh, I like the New Testament, I like Jesus, and I take the New Testament, and then the Old Testament, I neglect it. We put it on top of each other. We put it together. Build on top of your victories. Again, letter A, jot down your victories. Letter B, build on top of your victories. And letter C, the last point, smaller victories matter. This victory in chapter 17 would not have happened if it wasn't for David's smaller victories in the past. Do you understand? You do not go from nobody and instantly all all of a sudden you have everything. When you have nothing and instantly overnight you have everything, you become a millionaire, you will become broke because you will not have the discipline. You will not have the discipline in your life to maintain that kind of character. It says when money and fame comes, it doesn't change you. It reveals who you are. David, whether he had a lot or whether he had little, He was the same individual. He was a man of character and honor. If David was not faithful, if he was not victorious in the small victories in the past, he would not have overcome this giant, this named Goliath in front of him in chapter 17. Every small battles count. Every mission trip counts. Every song counts. Every word you sing on Sunday as praise team, every strumming you do counts. Every prayer you pray during the week when no one is watching counts. Every passage you memorize during the week when no one is watching counts. Everything counts in the kingdom of God, whether they're small or whether they're big. Every letter counts. Yes, Daniel? Every victory matter. Every victory, it matters. The unseen victories from your past, they were not in vain. David was able, was able to overcome this particular fight with Goliath because he was victorious in his smaller victories. And his foundation was that he never forgot who his God was, the one who always walked with him. A lot of people change according to the different groups of people they're with, different settings. We are so quick to lower our Christian identity. And we forget our identity 
that is found in Christ. I mean, how dare we? May we be faithful even when no one's watching. Be faithful for the things of God. Amen? Every small victory is count. Which leads uh, to point three. But before I do point three, uh, let's all read verse 50 together. Ready? One, two, three. So David triumphed over the Philistine, the sling and a stone, without a sword in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Amen. He was able to kill and overcome and win this battle because he was faithful in his previous small victories. Again, jot down your victories, build on top of your victories, smaller victories matter. I'm not saying go ahead and list all your accomplishments and just like writing it down. Yep, I did this, I did this. Good job. Good job, Andy. I'm talking about having a mental note, having it etched in your heart how God was faithful when you had no help, when you had no hope, when you felt hopeless and God was there with you. During that time in the mission field when you, when something happened or when opposition came, physically maybe we were tired, we weren't feeling good, and God was there with you. And how you overcame. And how we were victorious in that trip. How we were victorious in that house and the place that we visited. There are times where because of the rain we couldn't do it, but we were victorious at that square when we did the outreach on the street. Remember that? Even when it was raining. First time Andy playing, he was playing the guitar. They had the umbrella and it was raining. Right before the church bell rang, the Catholic church nearby, we were able to accomplish and finish the message of Psalm 139. Jot down your victories. Build on top of your victories. Smaller victories matter. Again, David never forgot who his God was and his identity in God, which leads to point number three. Our last point is identity in Christ. What is your identity? Identity in Christ. Are you forgetting that you are warriors and soldiers in the kingdom of God, in God's army? As Christian men and women of God, we are called to fight the good fight, not to be passive. Goliath, as does Satan, right? Goliath is pretty much Satan. Goliath, he tried to confuse God's people, right? What does he attack? What, what does he attack first? The first thing he attacks is their identity. Right? He attacks, he, he, make, he makes them forget who they fight for, who their God is. My God is my identity, for I am made in his image. My identity is in Christ. You must never forget that. Goliath, Satan, or anyone who lives as enemies of God will try to oppose the living God. They will say, why do you go to church? Why do you go to church so much? Why do you pray before you eat? Why do you go to church and why do you worship and with your hands lifted high? They will try to confuse you to forget who you fight for, who you're worshiping. But you must never let anyone 
even family members, to dictate your worship before God. You must not forget your identity in Christ. You know, there are so many different denominations, different theology, different thinking. There are so many different noises all around us. But we must pray to God for wisdom and knowledge to have discernment and to know and to understand and to be taught the right teachings of God. As Christian men and women of God, I want to encourage you to come on Thursdays for scripture study. I encourage you to memorize scriptures during the week. I encourage you to wake up it doesn't even have to be in the morning, but throughout the day, just pray to God. Have a communion with God. Pray to Him and have a relationship with Him because the whispers and the noise of Goliath, Satan, all the noises around us, family members, friends, the whispers, the shouts from the enemy, it will become loud. And if you allow it, it will overcome, it will consume you. But we are different. We are called as men and women of God. We are royal priesthood. We are, our identity is found in Christ. We are men and women of God. And the question is, who do we fight for? If you fight for the army of God, if you fight for God, then each and every individual, the Israelites in chapter 17, they all should have been, their anger should have burned with righteous anger, and they all should have went and attacked Goliath all at once. But it says they were fearful and they were scared because they only looked at themselves. They were lost in their own heads, in their emotions. They put God in a box. I'm too scared, God, I can't. In the scripture, all throughout Old Testament, God's blessing came to those who were courageous in God and who had faith in him. Remember Joshua and Caleb? As they entered the promised land, the land of Canaan, it says they were giants. We're like grasshoppers compared to them. The people who went, the spy that went to look at the land, and almost all of them, they were like, oh, we can't do this. And therefore, they all died in the desert for 40 years. That was their end. But the only one who was able to enter the promised land were Caleb, Joshua, the faithful, the courageous, the one who trusted and who did not forget their identity in God. And then we were introduced with Rahab, you know, the woman who lives in the place, and she's her, uh, the living God, the name Yahweh, Elohim. And he, she's the one that helps them into the area. And, you know, it's those who are courageous. I mean, she's risking her life. I mean, she's, in, in a sense, she's betraying her own people. But when you're following God, you don't betray. You're doing God's will. You know, you're blessed. You may think that you're betraying your family. You may think that you're betraying your friendships. You're not. Following God is the most honorable thing you can do. And it's the best thing that you can do. The best decision you can make. So again, point number three, identity in Christ. Two so points here, and I'm closing with this. So point A, 
Know your identity through God's word. Know your identity through God's word. Not from the world, but through God's word. Word, not world. God's word. It says in 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous, wonderful light. Once you are not a people, but, but now you are the people of God. Once you have received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. And last point here, so point B is this. Overcome your giants through God's word as we are doing so here today. As we go over the story of David and Goliath, we are able to overcome the giants in our lives. We, like David, we have many giants and oppositions and hurdles in our lives. But with just five stones and a sling and remembering the previous victories of your life and remembering who God is, you overcome that giant that is right in front of you as well. Do not run away. Do not hide among the crowd. Sin is defying the name of the living God. Does does that not stir up righteous anger and your desire to fight the good fight, to pray more, to read the scripture more, to memorize the word more? You think that your challenge right now that's in front of you, you think that's hard? It's only going to get harder. Because as you mature in Christ, as you find a solid foundation in your identity in Christ, Satan is also at work and his attack will become even stronger in your life. But he cannot phase you because you are solid. Your foundation is in Christ. You will not be shaken through trials, through hardships, through testings, through temptations. Fight the good fight. Continue fighting. Don't forget your identity in God. When trials come, Jonathan, when hardships come, the world and people will tell you, they'll give you advice, right? They'll give you a motivational book or, I don't know. They'll try to give you a talk to encourage you. Go see a psychiatrist. Maybe give you pills. They give you worldly ways to fight. Worldly ways to settle your matter. But as Christians, we must not follow the ways of this world. Everything is spiritual. 
again, I'm not saying we can't, you know, against medicine and all that. That's not what I'm saying. But at the core of it all, it's a spiritual fight, and the scripture is very clear. The spirit of depression is a spiritual attack. Do not fight the same way as the world fights. And we see here, Saul, he tried to give David his own clothing, his own weapons. Let's skip over to verse 38 to 40, just real quick. Just so that we read exactly in what the word says. It says, Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. And he said, I cannot go in these because I am not used to them. So he took them off. It's our job to take off the things of this world. People will try to give you ways to conform and to follow the ways of this world, to do this, do this, do that. Take this, do this, and this. Let it go. Take it off. Come naked before God. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five. Let me get that stone. Five smooth stones from the stream. Put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag. With a sling in his hand, he what? Approached the Philistine. As Christian men and women of God, we take the word of God. We take the prayer that we pray, our faith in God. And remember the armor of God that's found in Ephesians 6, which we're going to read and be reminded of. And we must say to the world, I cannot go in these and take off the outer things that the world offers. Fight with God on your side, not in the same way as the world does. In an Oscar-winning movie, I don't know if you watched this movie, called Hacksaw Ridge, based on a true story of a man named Desmond Thomas Doss. Born in February 7, 1919, died on March 23, 2006. He was a United States Army Corporal who served as a combat medic with an infantry company in World War II. He was twice awarded the Bronze Star Medal for actions in Guam and the Philippines. Doss, Thomas Doss, further distinguished himself in the Battle of Okinawa by saving 75 men, becoming the only conscientious objector to receive the Medal of Honor for his actions during the war. Do you know how he saved 75 people? It's a good movie. Watch it by Mel Gibson. The main actor is, uh, what's his name? Spider-Man guy. Is it Andrew Garfield? Yeah, Andrew Garfield, yeah. 
Good actor, by the way. And he saved each of these soldiers while guns and bombs are blowing everywhere, shooting everywhere without using a gun. The whole premise of the movie is he doesn't want to use a weapon. He even has to go to court for it. They're saying, why would you not carry a weapon? Because his job was not to kill, but to save. 75 men he saved by going day in, day out, carrying a body, saving a man after another, after another. Do not fight in the same way that the world fights. I remember in, um, when I did wrestling sophomore year, first time doing it, I didn't know what was, I didn't know anything about wrestling, but I did football before that and I didn't have that much fun because I didn't grow up in America. I didn't really understand. But when wrestling came, I was like, oh, I like it. Except for the, you know, the thing that they make you wear uh, for competition. But uh, I remember for the first two years, I had a shoe. My size shoe is 10. Uh, my wrestling coach, he gave me a shoe. It was like size 11 and a half. I think I like this much space. I had to like tape it up and, and I just wrestle with it. You know, and people will say, you know, go ahead and wear the right shoes and do this, get the best one, get the name brand one. I didn't care about that. Just did what I had to do and was faithful in my mission to go ahead and pin and to win the matches. And those shoes didn't keep me from being able to win. Because it was at the end, at the end of the day, it was about my mindset and the heart. The world will tell you, as David did, everyone around David tried to give him the same weapons that they fought with. But you must remember that it is our job to take it off. Saul, Goliath, the world will try to confuse you, will bring a lot of noise all around you. Let it go. I cannot go in these, it says in verse 39. I cannot go in these. Goliath represents worldly attacks, worldly pressures, worldly standards, and the world will offer you their armors and weapons and pleasures. But may our answer to them be, I cannot go in these. And when we are attacked with worldly Goliaths, we must not fight back the same way as the world fights. But we must fight spiritually. And David was spiritually equipped. Therefore, be spiritually equipped. If you're not spiritually equipped, Antonia, if you're not spiritually equipped, Brother Enrico, you cannot win this fight, this Christian journey, where you will lose this battle every single day. Be spiritually equipped. David did not fight Goliath the same way Goliath fought, same way the other soldiers fought. He fought in faith and in courage that is found in God. Then what are we doing? 
How, how do you expect to win without praying, without reading? He finds a sling, five smooth stones. And he doesn't tackle Goliath on Goliath's terms. He tackles it in his own terms. We don't tackle the world on his own worldly ways and terms. And it saddens me that when Christians, when we try to fight this fight in our own terms through the world, and too often we try to mimic and wield its weapons in the same way as the world does, then we try to fight the same way. But you must say to these oppositions, must say, I cannot go in these. So then how should you fight? And here's the answer. Let's all go to Ephesians chapter 6. Again, memorize this, guys. Memorize this. Be reminded of this during the week. Verse 10 to 20. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong in who? In God. Not in yourself, in him. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm, then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray, and pray, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind be alert and always keep praying for all the Lord's people pray also for me that whenever I speak words may be given so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Amen. What a powerful letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesian church. Do you see the similarity here in godly people? They have faith and courage. If somehow God took Paul from, brought it back to the glad time, Paul would have done the same. If God had taken Joshua and put him in against Goliath, Joshua would have done the same. Joseph would have done the same. Abraham, Isaac, they would have done the same. 
Rahab would have done the same. Man and woman of God, we are called to fight and fight the good fight. Understand who your enemy is. Know what is at stake. You have a powerful enemy, a spiritual enemy, who is out to destroy your life. Who is out to destroy. Be alert in your mind and alert in your mind and in your heart. Be ready. Be strong in your heart, in your faith in God. Be fearless in your walk with God. Do not crumble under pressure. Do not shout away like the rest of the Israelites, the soldiers did when they faced the giant in front of them. They are bold and victorious, and they are fighters for the things of God. We are called to fight and fight the good fight. How do we fight the good fight? Put on the armor of God, the spiritual armor, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the belt buckle of truth, the, the shield of faith that extinguishes all the flaming arrows that comes after you, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray. It says pray. Pray always. Pray continuously. So, and pray for others as well. Pray for me, Paul says. Pray for me during the week as I pray for you. And when you, and it says to stand your ground. And then after you have done everything to stand, it says to stand firm again. It says, it goes on again. It repeats. It says, stand firm in your faith in God. Victory in Christ. Put on the full armor of God. Put on the armor of God. Only then can we win. And can we overcome. The weapons that God gives are not as obvious as the world. And it is more powerful. And it will never fail us. May God equip you today. And He will equip those who trust in Him. And He will equip you with the spiritual armor that you need for you to win this battle right now that is in front of you. So I'm going to end with this question. Can we all close our eyes at this time? Are you wearing your spiritual armor? Are you equipped with the spiritual armor of God? Are you equipped with Saul's armor, his tunic? Saul representing the world, a disobedient individual, a disobedient king who has been rejected by God. Are you following in the ways of this world? Are you trying to tackle this Christian life, this one life that you have with the weapons that the world provides? Are you equipped with the word of God with the spiritual armor of God are you praying in spirit on all occasion are you worshiping him in spirit and in truth I want to invite you today to come before God once again remembering the story that we are also familiar with the story of David and Goliath be victorious in the giants 
that are in front of us today. Have faith. Take courage and approach the giants in your life. I want to invite you to put on the former of God right now. Just imagine yourself again, a spiritual, it's a spiritual image of you taking off all the old clothing, take it off and put on the former of God. Put it on. It's a spiritual fight. You're warriors in Christ. You're soldiers in God's kingdom. You're called to fight. Fight the good fight. Fight with the right weapons, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit. Stand your ground. Stand firm in your faith as David did. Father, I just pray that we would just pursue you. We will follow hard after you, O God. Second Corinthians ten. Three to five says this: For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we must take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you for reminding us today through the story of Goliath and David that we are all so familiar of. Lord, thank you for reminding us that our victory is found in Christ. That God, that you have called us not to fight with the weapons that the world provides. We must not fight and put on the armor that the world gives, but we are called to put on the full armor of God. I pray, God, right now that we would just continue to seek after you. I pray, Lord, that you watch over each and every single one of the members who are here in this place. Lord, may we not forget the courage and the faith of David and all the amazing men and women of God that were faithful in their respective journeys with you in the scripture. But most importantly, Lord, thank you for our main protagonist, our main character, our God, our Lord, Jesus Christ, who was so faithful, who was so courageous. That he was obedient, even unto death, unto the cross. So God, I pray that we will carry the same mindset as our Lord Jesus Christ. 
I pray, God, that we will be faithful. We will be strong and obedient. That we'll be courageous and live in faith. And as you have shown, what courage means, how to live on this earth. Lord, we thank you. We honor you. We pray all these things in your precious Son, Jesus Christ. Let me pray. And God's people pray. Amen. And amen.